0: Welcome back to the Posting Up Podcast here with your host, Alec Jesse. It is sweet 16 week. We have cut it down from 68 to 64 to 32 and now to just 16 teams left. So, big week coming up, and I am here to preview it all. Um, You know, very interesting enough, uh, so this is the first time I think since 2009 where it's been essentially chalk, where there's been um, only two teams, there's only two teams left that are not a a four-seater or or higher lower, however you look at it, four-seating up. So... Uh, with the two being 12-seeded Oregon and 5-seeded uh, Auburn, who technically was a favorite against Kansas, but nonetheless, uh, as far as the seating goes, that was an upset. A very chalky field. Uh, first time in a long time that that's happened. I mean, last year you had Kansas State, who was an 8-seed. You had Loyola, obviously. You had... Uh, Nevada. That was just in one region, actually. Just, just those teams were just in one region. Uh, uh, Crazy enough, Kentucky was the highest seed in the East region last year, at five. After the first weekend, pretty incredible stuff. And now this year, you have only two that are lower than a four, five seed. Auburn, twelve. Usually, you get you get a ten seed in there. You get a, you get more than one, or twelve or two. You get a six. Out of the, um, yeah, out of those, you know, the six three matchups or whatnot, a lot of times a three loses to a fourteen that didn't happen this year. A lot of times a four loses to a twelve or a thirteen, and that only happened once with uh, Kansas State and uh, UC Irvine. I believe that only happened once, right? Uh, yes, it did only happen once. Um, and usually, I mean, th- in Usually, the five twelve upsets are the ones that don't happen because they're so popular everyone's like oh they you jump on those five twelve upsets because there's like this i don't know it's like year after year that's like the matchups you look for, and it usually doesn't pan out and this year did you had three of the four of uh, five seeds get upset in the first round, but the third the twelve seeds uh only one of them advanced so uh, in Auburn being the only five seed, not uh to to drop their first game, and uh, they end up in the Sweet Sixteen. So a very chalky field. So it goes uh, as this. So it'll it'll be Duke and Virginia Tech, uh, in the East, one and four, and then you get a three two matchup with LSU and Michigan State, in the South. You get Virginia and you get Oregon. A very interesting matchup, and I think you know. You know, we'll get into these matchups, but that one I feel like, you know, Virginia, I wouldn't want a piece of Oregon right now. Um, Tennessee, Purdue, another really good one. Uh, UNC, Auburn, I mean, like, LSU, I can't pick between my favorite matchup. It's between LSU, Michigan State, Purdue, Tennessee, or North Carolina and Auburn. I can't pick. I mean, it's it's it, like it's really close. I'll probably probably lean LSU, Michigan State. But I mean, terrific. We have we just have terrific Sweet Sixteen matchups. Uh, Houston and Kentucky, uh, it, uh, the second Midwest matchup out in Kansas City, and uh, out in the West we have Gonzaga, Florida State, and Texas Tech and Michigan to round out your Sweet Sixteen. This is the first time I think I'll say I've ever said this as far as a tournament goes. Um, I think that we genuinely have the best 16 teams left. Um, according to Ken Palm, the only team that would have ma- that could have made it uh, with the way that the, kind of the bracket structure was, uh, that would have made it like literally the best available teams left is if Wisconsin had beaten Oregon and Irvine – and whatnot, but I think Oregon's better than Wisconsin, and they're all the way up to 29 and Kempom. And we're talking about a team that was in the 80s, I believe, it was like like in the 60 80 range, uh, back in February. And they're, yeah, late January, early February. I mean, talking about a team that lost to UCLA twice and blew a 10 point lead with a minute left to UCLA. Uh, but I'm, I think they've won what now 10 straight, uh, including this weekend's wins. They look great doing it. I mean, uh, like they've been terrific. They're now fifteenth overall in defense, uh, adjusted defensive efficiency in Kim Palm. Like I think we we have legitimately the best sixteen teams in the field um, right now. And I know Oregon kind of had a rocky go of it. And it is fair, and maybe Wisconsin. You, you can make the argument they're better, um, but I don't know. Like LSU is eighteenth. So the top fourteen teams on Kimpom are still in it, which like that never happened. Like that never happens. Go back to two thousand nine. I bet it didn't even happen. Well, yeah, we can't see it now. Uh, for for those that I'm I'm referencing on Kim Palm for the active field, uh, the teams that are still in it in the tournament are in red. and the teams that are out of it, obviously, are in white. So, um, but top fifteen or fourteen, excuse me, and then Wisconsin, Iowa State, Kansas, they obviously did not make it. Uh, to the Sweet 16. And then LSU is eighteenth. But I I mean, I don't know about you, I think LSU is better than Wisconsin, Iowa State, and Kansas. Like I, I don't even think that's close. That, you know, I know that you know Kim Baum does their different efficiency metrics. And I you know, Wisconsin's a terrific defensive team. And I think that's why they're at fifteen. Iowa State a terrific offensive team and Kansas is Kansas. But I still think LSU would beat any of those teams on a neutral court. Uh and then you, and then you have twenty nine Oregon. And the teams, so the teams ranked ahead of Oregon, Texas. I think Oregon's better than Texas. Villanova, I think right, definitely right now, Oregon's better than Villanova. Nevada, you could make a case for Oregon. Florida, I think Oregon's better than Florida. Maryland, I think that's close, but I you could make a case. Uh, uh, Kansas State, that one I think Kansas State might be better, but it's close. I did, Oregon's closed the gap. Buffalo, I mean, again, you can make it. I would totally understand either way, but I'd probably take Oregon. Uh Louisville, Oregon's absolutely better than Louisville at this point. Uh Mississippi State, again, I, like I would have said Mississippi State before the tournament, but there's one one of these te- two teams is still still playing. Uh Wofford, again, probably Oregon, but Wofford's really good. I mean that's that's close. And then you got LSU, Kansas, Iowa State, Wisconsin. So, I mean, like, the teams that are ranked ahead of Oregon, like, LSU, I think, is clearly better than them. But all the other ones, I, I could understand you thinking not. And, and, of course, LSU is still in the field, and all those other teams are not. So, I think that we legitimately have, right now, the best 16 teams in the field. Now, that th- this weekend was still very good. But it wasn't quite as thrilling as it normally is, right? Because there wasn't, like, you had your first round upsets, yeah, but none of those teams moved on, so there wasn't any, like, whoa. Now, you had, there was a couple where it was close, and we'll get into those. With Duke and UCF, I mean, should have, right? UCF should be here, like, should be still playing today. Duke should be at home. But that's, you know, that's how it goes. Um, Tennessee. I mean, there was not a team this weekend that looked shakier in their first two games of the remaining teams left than Tennessee. It took them 35 minutes to get a grip against Colgate, and then you know they 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 won it in the end. but like it took them a long time, and then they get a 21 point lead at, at half on Iowa and let a, and let a team that I consider I think is average, right? A team that re- wasn't playing really well leading up to the tournament. Like I think the only game they had won like in their last I don't know. Three or four weeks leading up to the tournament, prior to the tournament, was was Illinois in the Big Ten because I think they had lost four straight. So like th- yeah, three weeks they had won like one game in three weeks. And Tennessee let that team come back and almost beat them. Um, T- Tennessee handled them in overtime, but I mean we're talking about a game that was forty nine twenty eight at halftime, and it's tied at seventy one going into the into the overtime. So. You had, you know, that um, that one, they, they very well could be sitting at home. You had Kentucky and Wofford. I mean, Wofford very easily could have won that game. Kentucky surviving without P.J. Washington. Um, you know, it, it, Michigan State had a shaky first performance. But, um, it, it, I mean, LSU, obviously. But I, I think, you know, LSU, Maryland, that, that's pretty, you know, I, I think LSU's better, and they won. But, I mean, Maryland, you, you could make a case that they're a top 16 team for sure. You know? So, but, um, there was a couple that were obviously close, but ultimately I think we had the best 16 teams and that is going to make, cause since we had such a chalk first weekend, that's going to make, that's going to make this upcoming weekend that much better. And honestly, you're, you're willing to sacrifice those upsets, um, Early, you know, you're willing to have a good choice for these just what are going to be just incredible games because we have some fascinating matchups on tap, and I want to go through them all. So, with the bracket that I went through last week, um, thought I'd you know update that. Um, I ended up with 13 of the Sweet 16 teams, I picked 13 of them. Um, that is better than I think I've ever done, and it, it helps that it's chalky, right? Because I, you, you pick the higher seed and boom, it ends up happening. You look good, so that that kind of helps. And, and upsets are very hard to predict, obviously. But the one I really missed on was Nevada. I really thought they were going to be Florida, and, and you talk about one of the most disappointing teams in the country this year. Um, like preseason top ten team, you have uh, you return pretty much everyone, pretty much everyone from a Sweet Sixteen team. Um, you get a five-star Jordan Brown on board. Uh, like I said, Martin Twins. You get Jordan Caroline, who uh, was the front runner for Mountain West Player of the Year. I think he was the preseason Mountain West Player of the Year. I think they still do that. Um, but anyway, I mean, he he was the front runner definitely uh, for that. And you know, Eric Musselman's squad just totally flopped. And you know, they they had kind of been a disappointment throughout the regular season. Remember, no, or I think one quadrant one win all season against Utah State at home. But uh and then when it was time to shine, they they flopped just like they had been flopping in uh in the regular season. I mean, they did I think they they split the Mountain West title with Utah State um and I I think Utah State ended up getting was the one seed in that tournament, and then they lose in the semifinals. Granted, without Jordan Caroline, but you think a team with that much, with a lot of other talent, they can compensate for losing. I mean, look at Kentucky, right? They lose their best player for the weekend, and they're still they're still playing, uh, and they lose to a bad San Diego State team. So, I don't know, like very disappointing uh ending, you know, losing to a, a good Florida team but not a great Florida team. They struggled to score the ball. And that was the I think that's kinda what it came down to. Nevada could not get stops at the end of that game. I I flipped it on after the Kentucky game and Nevada was within two and I was like, all right, they're about to take take control here and they just couldn't get stops. They could not execute defensively and that ultimately was their downfall. Uh, in that game, In and, and you know you can't execute defensively against a bad offensive team. That's that's what happens. You get sent home, and, and and I think Nevada versus Michigan. While you know while I went with Nevada in that matchup, I could you know Michigan very easily could have won. I would have said all right, I was wrong with that one, but man, it would have been a heck of a better matchup. Michigan was not losing that Florida team. Florida couldn't score, and Michigan suffocated held them to like the points, I believe. Uh, in a fifteen-point mat or win for Michigan, they took care of business. Once Florida won that game, I knew Michigan was going to be on to the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, so that was really my big miss. Uh, I missed also on Buffalo Texas Tech, and I got that matchup right. I had both Buff Buffalo and Tech in that game. Had Buffalo beating uh Arizona State, who I said you know I I believed that Belmont was going to beat Temple, and I believed that uh. Arizona State was going to beat St. John's. St. John's, in my opinion, was the worst. Uh, you know, non, uh, mid major, in the tournament. Like that. That was. Just, they weren't very good. Uh, and, and I I had a feeling Arizona State would win that game. They did, and then Buffalo trounced them. I thought Buffalo was going to be a tough matchup for Tech. You know, I know you know Tech's one of the best defensive teams in the country. Uh, number well, they are according to Kim Palm, number one in adjusted defense efficiency. But um, I, I think that the text just their strength and uh, th- their size, and I think all just ultimately their athleticism. Uh, you know, with with Culver and and then they get Odiasi and Owens, give them double digit points. I mean, that's that's the thing. When Tech is getting guys scoring outside of Jared Culver, that's when it's like, okay, this team can go to the Final Four. But they haven't had that consistently all season, which is why there's some games they score in the upper 80s, and there's some games where they're in the 50s. But uh, when Owens and Odiasi are getting on the board, that makes Tech really good. So they, they blew out Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo did not shoot the ball well. Uh, Harris and Massenberg had to be big. I mean, they probably needed to score a combined 40 points to win that game, and they didn't come close to that number. Uh, and Buffalo is sent packing for the second year in a row in the round of 32. So I missed on that one. And then Iowa State. I missed on Iowa State. I really thought Iowa State was going to beat a bad Ohio State team again. Ohio State really hadn't beaten anyone in the last month. I think the best team they had beaten coming into the tournament <laughs> was Indiana in the Big Twelve or in the Big Ten, excuse me, tournament. Um, so I was like, you know, Iowa State coming off of uh, a Big Twelve t- uh, tournament title where they they won. I think was it. Yeah, three games in three days. They blew out Baylor, a solid Baylor team, um, and then they they beat Kansas State, and then they they run Kansas off the floor in Kansas City. I mean, it looked like a pretty good matchup for Iowa State, and then they score fifty eight points. I mean, ultimately, the last two weekends are a microcosm of Iowa State season as a whole right they they win three straight into a big 10 or big 12 title they beat the top seed uh kansas state and they beat kansas and kansas city that's not an easy task um but then they flop against a lesser team uh the very next game that's been their problem all season right they have they, they have terrific wins they won at texas tech um you know and like i said they beat kansas state um they have you know they went to Ole Miss and totally destroyed them, shot like 70% in the second half. But then they also have lost to the likes of West Virginia and TCU and NIT team twice. So ultimately the inconsistencies kept creeping up, and that's why they got uh, they, they were uh, eliminated early in the tournament against a, 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 an okay Ohio State team, an Ohio State team that probably overachieved a little bit this season, right, with a great start. I think they got inside the top 10, but then really when Big Ten, when the the um, the 2019 portion of the Big Ten play started, they really fell off big time. Um, it didn't look very good. So... Uh, and then Houston, obviously, they took care of business both games. Houston was not going to lose to Ohio State, so it'll be Houston and Kentucky. So those are the three I missed on. I had LSU, had Florida, I had Florida State beating Murray State. Uh, I liked I liked that matchup with John Morant and Murray State against Marquette, who hadn't been playing great the last few weeks, and and they they crushed them. Like I thought it'd be close, and they they did not. Uh, there was nothing close about it in a nineteen point win, but uh, Florida State. Dominated Murray's in in just the depth and the athleticism and the length that Florida State team has. You just had to, and that's a tough team to prepare for in general, let alone off of a day. John Morant couldn't do it all on his own. He had a great game. He hit five to six threes, I think, had 28 points, but uh, just not enough help around him to get that win. And Florida State win, won that one. I think it was 90 to 62. It was convincing. I uh, had Auburn beating Kansas As game time crept up I wasn't feeling good about that pick And then Auburn just did what they do Watching Auburn do that Against, you know, because I'm a Kentucky fan Non-Kentucky teams is, It's so fun to watch Like, it's the best uh, And I was like calling out their shots I was like, that's what going in And Bryce Brown was lighting it up early I mean, they, they had Kansas put away at halftime uh, And for Kansas What a disappointing season Right, I mean, preseason number one team in, in this, I think the off-the-court stuff, combined with the the injuries, you know, well, you had LeGerald Vick leave the team midseason. That was kind of the dagger right there. But Yudoka, as a bookie, injuring his wrist again, second time in three years and being out for the year. Silvio DeSosa, uh, you know, being ruled essentially ineligible for his college career. That's what that is, you know, ultimately that's going to, what's going to go down with that. And then you don't get good, you know, your lottery pick or the guy you think's a lottery pick and Quentin Grimes just isn't very good this year. Uh, who he may end up coming back. I don't know who knows what he'll end up doing. Uh, that that's a toss up. Um, and it was just, it was just a tough year for Kansas, you know, going forward. It's, you know, what's going to happen with it. We don't know. They've missed on some of their top targets this year. Bill sell still going to have to testify for that. Adidas, uh, the whole Adidas uh, trial and, and all that stuff and right now they only have two guys committed or signed that are lower in four stars Christian Braun and Isaiah McBride I believe their names so Kansas could could be in a little world of hurt for a little while uh because of this FBI thing um, missing on Jeremiah Robinson Earl and probably Matthew Hurt you'd have to think um so anyway but I was I, you know. Ultimately, that worked out for me Virginia Tech I got them i I you know once Liberty beat upset Mississippi state, that was a no brainer but i I thought tech would beat state they would have uh they're just a really good basketball team. Buzz Williams has his team back. i think it was, I think I saw it as their second sweet sixteen in like the last sixteen years uh, like tech you think of them as like a pretty good basketball school, like not great but not bad. Uh, but seconds. You yeah, know, that seemed like a little light on that. Um, obviously, I had Tennessee, Purdue. I had I had them. I mean, Purdue and Texas Tech were the best teams in my opinion of the weekend. Um, those were the teams of the weekend. No one looked better than them in their first two games. Now that doesn't mean anything. They could get. They could get both of them could lose Sweet Sixteen. That doesn't really mean anything. But as far as the first two games, who passed the eye test the most? It was Texas Tech and Purdue. Uh, destroyed their first opponents. I mean, Tech kind of, you know, won by like 15 to 20 against NKU. Just kind of suffocate them like they do. And then obviously, like I said, look great against Buffalo and beat a good team. Purdue, you know, destroyed Old Dominion. I, you know, I, I watched a lot of Old Dominion at the Conference USA Tournament. And while they are a good basketball team and they have very good guards, no match for Purdue. I mean, for just for that offensive firepower. They were – if they – if that game got – Uh, out of hand early. They just weren't going to be able to come back, and sure enough, that's what coming back against Louisiana Tech and um, in UAB is one thing. It's another to do it against Purdue, uh, uh, in the NCAA tournament. So, and then they play Villanova. Villanova, I think, was like a popular pick. Um, to maybe get like for a sneaky run, right? Because oh, they've won two of the last three national titles. They got Jay Wright. They got two seniors and Phil Booth and Eric Pascal. It's like, a, and they're kind of they're entering that blue blood round. So you're like, oh yeah, you know, give me give me villain. And and they're kind of like a sneaky team as a sixth seed. You're like, oh yeah, they look good. Uh, no, that I I knew Purdue was a gonna be a problem for them. In member – Villanova lives and dies by threes. And if they're not going in, they just aren't good. And they're not athletic enough on defense. I mean, th- this is what happens when you lose, w- when you win national titles. You start losing dudes earlier than what you normally would. That's what's happened to Jay Wright. And this team, while it was a good team, it was a tournament team. And, and I think also, I don't know, pe- people gave him a ton of credit for winning the, both the Big East regular season and postseason. You gotta realize the Big East was horrible this year. I mean, Marquette should have won definitely the regular season if they didn't just to, if they didn't blow two games at home towards the end of, of that. And then you and I mean, Seton Hall very well could have won that game as against Villanova. I mean, ultimately they did and they didn't have to play Marquette in the final for a rubber match. So they kind of they lucked out there. But yeah, I. The, the, and and then also with Villanova, it's either all or nothing. They either win the whole thing or they're out by weekend, uh or they're out by the first weekend. So that's another thing that you gotta uh take into account when you um yeah, it's another thing you gotta take into account when um you're dealing with Villanova in the future. I think next year though, they're they're gonna be uh much improved, much improved. Uh, with Brian Antoine, Jeremiah, Robinson, Earl. I think they're going to be more traditional style next year, which means they're not going to be, you know, playing, you know, Eric Pascal shooting three. They're not going to be having five guys shooting threes. They're still going to shoot a lot of threes. Jay writes, that's what his teams do, but I don't think it's going to be quite the clip that it has definitely was this year. I mean, they lived and died by the three. Um, so there's that one. And then obviously, you know, I, I had Kentucky. I was obviously a little nervous, Uh, With uh, PJ Washington on the shelf, Uh, did the podcast? I think last Monday, right? And I didn't. This, the whole thing about PJ Washington in a boot, didn't come out until um, until the next day, Tuesday. And I I thought when when I first read into it, um, I they said precautionary reasons, and I play. I've played a lot of fancy football over the years. So I've kept up with kind of football injuries. It's a big part of fantasy football for those who don't play. For those who do play, it's duh, uh of course. In um, a lot of times, they'll put these, they'll put these, you know, these football players, uh, in boots for whatever. Yeah, kind of rolled his ankle, or oh, he landed weird on his foot. So we're just going to put him in a boot, just in case. And oftentimes it's nothing, and then up playing. That's what I thought this was at first. Well, it was a little more serious than that. Uh, you know, he had a foot sprains. I thought when I first read about, it, I was like, Ah, he's. I bet he plays on Thursday. And then as closer to game tip, became clear. Okay, he's not playing. Let's hope for Saturday. And then it, and then you see him in a hard cast, wheeling around on Thursday, and you're like, He's not playing on Saturday. And sure enough, that's how it transpired. Um, I'll get more into that to the future. Um, uh, you know, when we preview the matchups. Uh, I, for right now, obviously, I'm kind of running through each of the Sweet Sixteen teams' performances, and then we will go from there. Uh, to the previews. So, I was a little nervous, but the first game, right, put away Abilene Christian early. I think they were up like eighteen to three, or twenty. To, yeah, I think it was eighteen to three. Uh, like put put away Abilene Christian early. That team was really bad. Um, I don't know what I don't know if I thought they were going to be good, but I thought they were going to be better than that. Like. In Kentucky, turned the ball over some. They were a little sloppy, um, and like they had opportunities to maybe make it a little bit of a game. Definitely in the second half, and they just didn't do it. They would turn it over right back. They'd miss wide open threes, but ultimately, really good game for Kentucky. Kelvin Johnson, second highest point total since can, or since being a, a Wildcat with twenty five, uh, hit, hit of hit three threes as well. Um, really, the offense was great. Outside of three point shoot, they didn't shoot the ball well from three, but the inside of the arc, they were money. Hero was making a bunch of mid range shots, it was a very good performance, you know. And then, obviously, the nightcap you have Seton Hall and Wofford it was a terrific game. I was watching that, um, and you know, Seton Hall or Wofford got up really big in the first half, as much as 16 or 18. Seton Hall came all the way back. Miles Powell is such a fun player to watch, and if you've never watched him, um, you better hope that he doesn't go pro after this year and, and he sticks around for the senior season because, I mean, that man, he's just, he is fun to watch. And watching him and Fletcher McGee go at it was terrific. And Wofford you know, kind of went on this run towards the end with Fletcher McGee at 24 points, I believe. I think he, all of his points were from threes. Yeah, I think he hit eight of them. And, uh, and he hit a couple threes, McGee did uh to kind of put away uh Seton Hall. well kind they got him up by like uh six or nine and then Seton Hall kinda of wilted and ended up being a sixteen point game. So Walford won handily. I think it was eighty four sixty eight was the final score. Yeah, I think Seton Hall scored about two points in the final of uh, five minutes or so and Walford just blew him out of the water from that point. So I mean it was gonna be a tough matchup for Kentucky, right? Walford, uh really good team, nineteenth in Kim palm 10th in adjusted offense, Um, and like I said, Fletcher McGee, the all-time three-point record holder, terrific, uh, I mean, really good basketball player, and, you know, just a good team all around, like a tough team to prepare for, without a doubt, Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, that game went on, and it was a total slugfest, right, like, neither team could really shoot the ball very well. and Wofford looked like was doing pretty well Uh had I think a six point lead but they never got that thing out to eight or ten they never in the first half Um Nathan Hoover was like hitting everything for, for him I mean obviously spoiler alert Wofford lost and Fletcher McGee went 0 for 12 but in the first half when McGee wasn't hitting him they were still winning and Hoover was doing well and it was like well maybe they, they're going to be on to something Uh and, and then – but they never got it to more than six. Um, but – excuse me there for a second. Uh, they never got it – uh, could extend that lead by more than six. And then Kentucky essentially went on a – two runs won the game for Kentucky. A 10-2 run in the first half that put them up by two. Uh, that kind of got them that small lead. And then they won, I think it was 11-3 to three run, I believe, uh, in the second half. I think the, the – the uh, score was either tied uh, at 37 or Kentucky by one at 38. But anyway, they got up. Um, they got up. I, I think they were uh, up 45 to 38. That, that's what it was. Kelvin got, got uh, Johnson um, hit, had a three pointer and then a offensive rebound put back, put Kentucky up by eight. And Kentucky essentially just hung on from there. Um, you know, Storm Murphy, I believe was his name. Uh, for their point guard who shoots like 48% from three and Hoover hit a few threes down the stretch but it wasn't enough Kentucky was able to survive the Wofford Terriers uh, and Fletcher McGee en uh, in, in, in route to a Sweet 16 berth 8 that's 8 of 10 years since Cal's been there Kentucky has been in the Sweet 16 which is absurd that that's incredible. So then, uh, you had, like I said, Michigan. Uh, they played Montana again. That Montana team is really bad. In Michigan, you know, kind of, they they kind of their 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 first two games were the exact same. Both of them, like they just kind of methodically got up a little bit. All of a sudden, you look up, they're up fifteen, and the other team just can't score. And that's exactly how they won. Uh, Jordan Poole was terrific in that second game. I think he had nineteen points. Uh, 15 or 19 one of the two I can't remember but he hit five threes I do know that uh, North Carolina looked a little shaky in that first game against Iona took them a while to get going but that second game against uh, Washington wow I mean, they blew them out of the water, wasn't really close at all. I think they were up by 13 at a half time, and they really didn't look back. Kobe White hit, like, four of his first five threes. Uh, Nas Little off the bench, 20 points. Um, if Carolina's getting 20 points out of the sixth man and the most talented player on the team, the lottery pick, Nas Little, um, all of a sudden the, Caroline, the complexion of Carolina is a little different. Um and, again, last year Carolina wasn't good. They weren't very good. They were not deserving of a 2C, that's for sure. They got the 2C because they were in the ACC. Um, however, uh, and the reason is, Luke May was their best player. And that's fine and all, but Luke May is a fine player and all, but he can't be your best player. And their best players were Luke May, Joel Berry, and Theo Penson. All the dudes that like aren't gonna be NBA players or like long-lasting NBA players. This year, though, that's different. Kobe White, lottery pick. Uh, Cameron John- Johnson probably might get picked, but I could see him sticking in the NBA. I could see him coming in as a three-and-D guy. Luke May's their third-best player instead of their f- best player. That's that's important. That's the, I think that's a big reason why Carolina they're more talented this year. I think that's that's just the fact of the matter. Last year they had probably better basketball players, higher basketball IQ, but remember they got ran off the court by just a more athletic and talented AM and m team last year. That's not going to happen this year because they have they have legit NBA players on their roster. And, you, and it shows. I mean, it's showing. They, they blew out a, a solid Washington team. They put up, I think, 80 points on a really good defense. Uh, and then you had – so Duke. Woo. We're won't go too much into Michigan State, Gonzaga, and Virginia. Well, we'll go through those three real quick, and then we'll we'll finish with Duke. Get into the, uh, get into the previews. So Michigan State, you know, they didn't play great against Bradley. Trailed most of the first half. They ended up winning by ten. Obviously, that big video of of Izzo letting freshman Aaron Henry have it. Uh, I'm not really going to get into that, but uh, that was in that game. Um, and then you had Gonzaga locked in their first two games. Offensively, Brandon Clark, when he had 36 points. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know how much higher he can go on draft boards, but I think he's still climbing. Um, just a terrific player on both ends of the court. Uh, definite top, probably top five pick at this point. Um and then Virginia, they, they won their first game, although Gardner-Webb was winning at halftime. Very bizarre. Virginia went on a big second-half run. They won, and they shut down Oklahoma. Uh, that that was never much of a game either. They won that game by, like, 15. Uh, so Virginia back in the Sweet 16 as well after a two-year absence from it. Okay, so Duke. Talk about Duke for a second. Um, wow. Wow. So their first game they were they didn't play great the first half led by 4 and then they you know, it, t- it took them about 25 minutes what happened was so it was halftime right and i think they were winning 31-27 they weren't playing very well so i you know flipping on another game of course and i'm watching it and then like 20 minutes later i look up and duke's up by like 20 and i'm like okay so <laughs> That's kind of how it went. They didn't play great the first half, and then boom, big run. They, they were up by as much as 30. They ended up winning by like 23. So that's, you know, happens a lot of times with one seeds in, in that 16 matchup. Um. So, yeah. So there's that. Second game. I didn't watch a ton of the first half. I know it was pretty close, but I watched a lot of the second half. I watched the last, tw- I pretty much continuously watched the last 12 minutes of... The second half at dinner, and it was one heck of a game. Number one, if you missed it, the best best game thus far this tournament. Note, hands down, the best game. LSU Maryland's up there. That was a really good game. Kentucky Wofford was it was good in the sense it was close, in the sense Wofford kept sticking around in the second half, but it wasn't a very well played game. It wasn't like super exciting. It was just like Kentucky. It was a close game, and then Kentucky like kind of held on but it wasn't like really a great pl- very well played basketball game. Uh Auburn Kansas was great if you just loved to see an offensive display, but it was a blowout. Um and then yeah, I mean there were, you know, a couple of the first the upsets were good. Uh Liberty Mississippi State, Liberty came back, uh you know, and ended up winning that game. I think they had, they were down by like as much as 8 and they boom, they came on back. Uh but I think this game has to take the cake for right now uh, as far as you know, Duke and UCF. Uh, Taco Fall clearly had an impact on that game. And I picked VCU to win that first matchup because their defense probably shouldn't have done that. V- UCF is better than I thought. I mean, talking about a team that is the only, they're the only team to beat Houston on their home court, and they did it when college game day was there. Uh, but they also lost to Memphis twice. I was like, eh. But probably should have stuck with them. But anyway, they won and you know played Duke, and it, that last twelve minutes that was just crazy. I mean UCF, I, I don't let me see what they are offensively. They don't strike me as a great offensive team. They, they never struck me as that. Yeah, they're forty seventh, so they're like you know, they're decent. They're not great. They're not bad, but man, they were hitting threes left and right. Aubrey Dawkins, I think, what do he have a game high? He either tied Zion at thirty two or he had thirty four. One of the, one of the two. He had at least. I know he had at least thirty two. Um, man, it was an offensive display, and, Virg- and, and UCF was up four. The play, big play here. UCF was up four, and they get Duke misses a three. They get out in transition. Uh, they're they're out running and throw. I forget. I don't know who it was that was on the you know throwing it and on the receiving end, but throws an alley oop, and and the guy gets it for. It was a good pass. It was like for, it was a it was a good enough pass. It wasn't the best pass, but it wasn't a bad one either. Didn't throw it over his head or anything like that. And he had it, and he just dropped it when he it kind of caught it at his chin, and he was gonna you know put the ball up and and dunk it. And as he was doing putting the ball up, just lost it. And then Duke comes down, and Cameron Reddish hits a three. And you know I've talked about the rule seventy one in this game, and I you know I was like in. UCF got the rule seventy one. They got the 71 first. But I was like, if there's a team that's gonna beat the rule seventy one, it's Duke. And sure enough it happened. But the last two, I mean, there was the, the no calls, in my opinion. I know UCF you they, they they blew it in the sense of that they missed that alley oop and whatnot. But if you're a UCF fan and you're if and you want to blame the rest solely for this loss, you can do it. Because at the end of that game, that last Duke possession, Zion charged on that final drive. It was a clear charge. He extended his arm. It, was, it wasn't it was a ton, but it was enough to where it should have been called. Like, a guy that big, if you're going to let him do that, then you might as well not even guard him. Just let him get out of the way. In taco, it was a close call. It was okay, But it was an acceptable call so as far as the, the foul for the and one. But then on that free throw, you had a hook and hold by DeLaurier, and then Barrett pushed a dude in the back. How did, how did none of those things get called? It should have been, If even if you missed the Barrett one, you go to the monitor, you look at the hook and hold. I think they did, and they didn't call it, which... I, it seems like the only hook and holds that ever get call, called are whenever it's teams against Tennessee late in games. Like, seriously, that's just what... Like I, I never see hook and hold, holds called in other instances. Always the opponents of Tennessee are late in games. I, seriously, that's just what I see. Uh, I, I don't understand why. But, anyway. So... Um, it should have been okay. You missed the bear call. Then you go back because you can review the hook and hold. You review that. You see it's a clear hook and hold. You put that dude on the line for two, and then it's UCF ball with however many seconds left. Eight seconds left. That's what it should have been. And and you know, but Duke that didn't happen. UCF got down. BJ Taylor threw threw up a uh, you know. A bank shot that almost went in, and the follow, how the follow did not go in. It looked like it was about to sit and drop in and roll out. That's the second time this second time this month Duke has had a shot roll around the rim and drop out, and they win by a point. Like the second time this month, so just crazy stuff. And the most Duke way to win a game, and I say that just in all honesty, I it was a terrific game. I mean, Duke if Duke had lost, my brackets would all been. Uh, capiche but but uh, nonetheless, terrific ball game. Uh, and, and Duke advances on. All right, so that was kind of like your little your little recap of the teams that made it. So let's go through each matchup. Duke and Virginia Tech. So that game will be played on. I believe that's Thursday. Yeah, I think they play. that on Friday. Hold on. No, that's a Friday game. That's a Friday game. They're going to be playing at nine thirty nine approximately on Friday. Um, very interesting because the first time these two teams played, um, obviously it was on both February twenty sixth when Duke always loses, um, to Virginia Tech. So that, but the both teams were without probably their best player. Now you could argue that Kerry Blackshear is Virginia Tech's best player, and I, and I that, that's understandable. Or Nikhil Alexander Walker, he's their he's he's their best pro prospect. I I agree with that. But Justin Robinson is probably if not their best, their most important player. And then for Zion, he's both the best and most important player for Duke. Um, so definitely the most important player, I'd say, for each team. Uh, and obviously Virginia Tech won. Now, Zion being back is major implications, but you also have Justin Robinson back for, um, for Virginia Tech. That's a tough assignment for Trey Jones. It's a very tough assignment, and yes, Trey Jones is a very good on-ball defender. He's one of the best on-ball defenders as far as point guards go. But Justin Robinson's one of the best offensive uh, point guards in in the country, both facilitating and scoring. I'm talking about a guy that had 35 points earlier this year against Syracuse, a, you know, a, a team that's always been known for—I know, you know, two-three zone, all that—but a, a good defensive team. They've been known for their defense, so. It's an interesting dynamic there, Um, a really good game. Um, I think Duke wins. Uh, I think the Zion effect outweighs Justin Robinson. Um, And you're talking about Coach K in a revenge game. I don't know his record off the top of my head, but it's got to be pretty good. Um, And I just don't see this Duke team losing before uh, the Elite Eight. So I'm going to go with Duke. Um, I'm not going to put a score on it. I I think it'll be fairly close. Kerry Blackshear is a matchup nightmare for them, with or without Zion. And I think how they defend that pick and roll with Robinson, I mean, yeah, they couldn't defend it in the first game when Robinson wasn't there. So a pick and roll with Blackshear and Robinson is going to be lethal. Duke's got to find a way to defend that. Uh, They ran a lot of zone against UCF. I I know they were kind of doing like this, uh, I think, kind of a press one through one maybe, and it forced – a couple bad shots, so I'll, I'll be interested to see how Duke defends that pick and roll with Kerry Blackshear because it's lethal. He can roll to the rim and finish, and he can he can obviously uh, pick and pop from three. He, I mean, is a terrific offensive weapon for uh, for the Hokies. All right, still taking Duke, however, in the East, LSU, Michigan State, again, probably my favorite matchup. You have total opposites. Michigan State, one of the most. The most mentally tough team in the country, right? I mean, a team that's had off-the-court issues. Um, they got cleared, obviously, with all the Title Nine stuff, but still off-the-court issues that overshadowed them definitely last year and going into this year. You had injuries to Josh Langford, one of the, you know, you're talking about your experienced veteran guard. You're probably, your again, I've said this multiple times, the most NBA or your best – NBA talent as far, you know, prospects go, goes. I mean, he, Lankford's probably their best hope at at a player getting drafted on this, uh, on this team. Uh, And you lose him for the entire second half of the season. Uh, And then obviously you have Nick Ward missing time. You have Kyle Aarons out for this, out for the tournament. And he's not a huge part of what they do, but he's still, you know, you're talking about a a key bench guy that can, that can play a little bit around the rim and can shoot. So uh, you know, tough, tough for Michigan State, but they keep persevering through, and you know they have the best point guard, arguably. You know, you have one of the best point guard matchups you're going to see this year, Tremont Waters versus Cash Winston. And it, but for LSU, before I get into that, for LSU you have you have another team that's very resilient you have two very resilient teams but in different ways you have you know with the FBI thing will Wade being out you have the Wade Sims tragedy and all of them kind of coaching themselves when you think about it but with you have the experience the grit of Michigan State and then you have the talent and athleticism I mean LSU is the most talented team from top from player one to player 13 in the country uh, it's not really close. Duke may have a more start athletic starting five, but then you get into that bench and there's not a whole lot of athletes. LSU, I mean, players six and seven are about as athletic as player one and two. Their most the least athletic player they play is Tremont Waters, and he's their best player, maybe. I mean, it's 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 kind of crazy. Um that's gonna be an awesome matchup. Again, like I said, Tremont Waters and Cassius Winston. What more could you ask for? Uh, that game, by the way, is on also on Friday. It's it's the first game. Uh, it's the game before Duke. Uh, so at like 7, seven o'clock. Um, but I I mean I mean that's going to be an awesome matchup. Cannot wait to watch it. And um, I'm going to take Michigan State. However, in a close game. I mean LSU always plays in close games, but I think you know both teams are very, you know, mentally tough. Both teams are very good at executing late in game. But I'm gonna go with the experience. I'm gonna go with Tom Izzo. I, essentially, I'm gonna go with Tom Izzo in this matchup. In a very, very close, evenly matched game. But it should just be an awesome matchup, regardless. Alrighty, to the south, UVA and Oregon. Uh, interesting matchup, right? Two really good defensive teams, and you have Oregon who is just on fire right now. Uh, and then you have Virginia, who's one of the best offensive and defensive teams in the country. I think it's going to be a tough matchup for Virginia, though. I, you don't want a piece of Oregon. Oregon's more talented, more athletic, probably. I mean, Kenny Wooten is, I mean, was all over the court last night. I watched like a minute, a two-minute video of how he just totally wrecked the game for UC Irvine on both ends of the court, whether it be offensive. He dunks everything in the defensive. He blocks everything. Um, and Peyton Pritchard is playing at an All-American level right now, uh, that was lacking midseason, and now it's not. Uh, and, and you have you know some of the role guys playing well. I mean, Lewis King um, and him. I think he he made like four threes. I mean, you're getting guys. You know, Dana Adelman is really like maximizing, you know, the production, the results for this team. It's really impressive. I'm still going to take Virginia, because also I mean they get to, the, not quite a home game, but. Louisville to Virginia is a lot closer to Oregon uh, to to Louisville, so uh, I I think Virginia wins this game and they advance it on to Elite But I think Oregon it wouldn't shock me if Oregon won, and it would and I think it will be fairly close. But I think Virginia's execution at the end of game uh, in in just their experienced guard play and. Just their ability to stretch the floor. I just think it's going to create a little bit of a mismatch when I mean, you talking about a team that plays a lot of dudes that can shoot and that can shoot it well. And then even even with maybe the athletic and talent advantage toward leaning towards Oregon, they still Virginia still has the best player, DeAndre Hunter, on the floor. Okay, so the second so these games are on Thursday. Virginia Oregon's the late game. The first game is Tennessee Purdue. I, this one's tough. I, this one's really, really difficult for me to pick. Um, I, you know, obviously, I picked, I'm going to stick with Tennessee, my Tennessee prediction, but it's a lot closer now than it was. Purdue is a problem to defend. And Tennessee is not exactly a very good defensive team, they're not super long. So, you know, Matt Harms, that's obviously a problem. And they don't, again, they're they're only, what are they? They are 33rd in Kim Palm in defense, which isn't terrible, but you're talking about with Purdue, the fifth best offense, according to Kim Palm. I mean, in a, Carson just had 42 points. I think he's, it's going to be a very high-scoring game. Um, neither team is going to really be able to stop each other. I think Tennessee will win, but again, no team that is still remaining looks shakier in their first two games than Tennessee did, and it would not surprise me. In 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 Purdue, maybe looked the best of any team, so it's going to be really interesting. But again, that stuff, you know, doesn't always mean doesn't always translate to well. That means Purdue is going to beat Tennessee because they look better in the first two weeks. Sometimes it that like sometimes. That's kind of how it goes. Sometimes it's not. So I'm still going to stick with Tennessee because of their experience, because, um, you know, I'm going to take – Grant Williams is probably the best player on the floor, but, man, Carson Edwards made a good case for himself to be the best player on the floor. All right, UNC Auburn. Now, you're not going to track me. This is going to be a track me. Like, get ready to just be – I mean – You're going to be out of breath watching this game, let alone the players playing in it. Um, I mean, Kobe White, Bryce Brown, Cameron Johnson, Chuma Okiki, Jared Harper. Like, Jared Harper, Kobe White. What an awesome matchup. I mean, Jared Harper pulls it from wherever, whenever, and it just goes in. Like, I... The more I watch Jared Harper, just the, the the more the more impressed I get. They haven't. Auburn has not lost since the Kentucky game back. I think that was March 23rd. I believe that was March 23rd or 24th, or not March February. So they haven't lost since the month of March. They've been playing great again. But they're Auburn's a team. If they're making it, man, they're going to beat anybody. Duke, Carolina, Virginia, Kentucky. Gonzaga, it doesn't matter. They're they're gonna win if they're making thirteen threes, probably. And then they they made thirteen against Kentucky at home. They lost, but they're probably gonna win, frankly. Um, but if they're off, then they can beat you by thirty. They can they can get beat by thirty, and they they've done both. So I, I think uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with UNC again. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that prediction, but it, again. Like I said, with all these matchups, wouldn't surprise me if Auburn won. And with the way they shoot, like it's not out of the question. But it's going to be an awesome game. It, it's going to be a, a terrific game uh, that's going to be up and down and, and all around. I mean, it's it's going to be it's going to be fun. A lot of points, but I think UNC in a high scoring game because they're the, again better coached. Uh, and I think that that Kobe White is the best player of the floor. But him and Jared Harper is going to be a great matchup. Cannot wait. Uh, that game is on Friday at 7:30. Kentucky-Houston, we go from the offensive juggernauts to the defensive juggernauts, which is exactly what these two teams are, right? Houston's like, I think they're the best team as far as effective field goal percentage against this season. Uh, But Kentucky has, I think they held Abilene, Christian, Wofford to a combined 34% from the floor and 26% from three. Wofford and Abilene, Christian were in the tournament because of the three ball. Lawford made the most, I think, the second most three pointers in the country behind Auburn. I mean, Kentucky is a defensive juggernaut, especially defending the three, which is amazing because three, four months ago, you never would have thought that was going to be the case. But they are. Since conference play has started, they've. I think only four teams have hit ten or more threes against them. Tennessee in that SEC tournament game. And that's, because they, and that's because Reed Travis fouled out on nonsense, like I said. That wouldn't have happened had he been in there. Arkansas hit all those in the first half when Kentucky locked him out in the second. Didn't really happen. I don't think they hit a three uh, in the final, I think, 14, 15 minutes of that game. Uh, Auburn at home, or Auburn was at home. And, I mean, how are you going to keep Auburn off the, off the three ball, uh, off the board as far as three balls go, at home? Gonna, uh, that's going to be very, very difficult to do. Um, and in Alabama, uh, in the that was the first conference game they played all season. They, they played, so I mean, you're talking about a team that really that, that shuts them down. I get it. It's going to be a slugfest. It's going to be tough. Kentucky has size and length advantages at every position except for the center. Which I think uh, Brian Brady, I think, is their center's name. Uh, and Reed Travis They're both six, eight, So it's a push Essentially But Corey Davis And, and Armani Brooks And DeJon Giroux I mean Talking about Those three I think all shoot 38% from three They're a good Three point shooting team That's kind of You know that, That's their forte As far as offense goes uh, Galen Robinson Not too far behind Their point guard I think at 34 um, But I'm, ta- I'm taking Kentucky Number one Because they've shut down The three Number two I think P.J. Washington plays um, I, I really do I think even though it didn't look great, him wheeling around uh, this weekend, I think that that cast, that cast will come off tomorrow, and I think he's going he's gonna to end up playing. Uh, and I think that people around the program think that he's going to play. They, they expect him to play tentatively. It's not, it wouldn't surprise them if he didn't play, but I think they think he's going to play, and he wants to play. It's not like he, he's holding out for draft stocks. This isn't a Jared Vanderbilt. Situation where he's got people in his ear telling him to sit. So I'm going to go with Kentucky. I think I think PJ comes back. I think they win it a slugfest, regardless if he plays or not. Uh, if if he doesn't play, I will take Houston. If he doesn't play, so I, whether he plays or not is contingent on my pick, and I think that's fair because like I mean, talking about the best player on the team in Kentucky, he had to, I mean, it, they had to survive without him. All right, so we got four minutes, you know, yeah, four four and a half minutes. Talk about the last two games. So we're going to speed. About these are also these are Thursday games Gonzaga, Florida State, Tennis Air Texas Tech, Michigan. Uh, Gonzaga, Florida State being the first game, first game of the Sweet 16 um, at 7 10 on Thursday. All right, so really interesting, another really good matchup, right? I mean, look how good Florida State looked this weekend. Uh, kind of struggled a little bit against Vermont, but blew out Murray State. You know, Phil Koffer not with the team right now because of the passing of his dad. Obviously, all thoughts and prayers with him, but it's not looking like he's going to be back so uh but I mean again, they throw a lot of length and athleticism at you. Terrence Mann was terrific uh and, and you know starting to get or if they can get anything out of n j Walker it's like whoa this team can, can really go I'm still going to go with Gonzaga. they have looked locked in I'm like locked in big time. Um, and, and they're playing much better on the defensive end. Uh, I think their their intensity on the defensive end has been been great. They haven't shot the ball extremely well. They didn't against Baylor at least. So the, you know, and, and they're talking about a very good shooting team. I think they they're the top team in Kimpom and offense. They are. Uh, so you're talking about a team that maybe has a little positive positive re, uh, a regression positive regression in the mean uh, coming up for them. So I'm going to take in Gonzaga. I, I think a fairly high scoring game. But I don't, you know. Again, this Florida State won this matchup last year. Is out. Uh, ironically, in the West, it was it was Gonzaga, Florida State, and then uh, Texas Tech or or uh, uh, Texas A and M in Michigan. Uh, so same teams uh, for all, but but just Tech instead of A and M. But but I'm going to take Gonzaga at full health. By the way, they were not last year with Tilly out. Uh, in the rematch. Texas Tech in Michigan, tough game because, again, like I said, Tech looked really good. But they haven't been able to do that consistently on offense. Their defense has always been there, but their offense kind of comes and goes, which is why they're a three seed and not a, a one or a two. Um, I'm going to pick Michigan. Number one, they've been here before. Right? Now, this is Tech's – they went to the Elite Eight last year, obviously. So this is now their second – Straight season in the Sweet Sixteen and looking for their second straight season in the Elite Eight. I, I just I am gonna go with Michigan because of their leadership and John Beilein. Man, he owns March. I mean, he, he really does, and he has been great in this tournament recently. I mean, you are talking about you know, fi- went to the final game last year, Sweet Sixteen this year, final game last year, Sweet Sixteen the year before. Like he again, he, he is maximizing the town. I mean, in the team that was from two years ago, like was it was a bubble team. Like in mid January, middle late January, and they're in the, in the Sweet Sixteen after beating Louisville, um. So I, I and I just think Michigan has a little bit more offense, and again they have guys that have been here before, um. And I, it, Brad Bradzegus versus Culver is going to be a very very interesting matchup. Uh, I'm going to take Michigan in a slugfest again. I think another low scoring game, first team to fifty five wins. I think. Uh, but these two teams are going to defend very well. I think Michigan has a slight offensive edge. I mean, according to Kim Palm, Michigan is at 19th offensively to just 33rd for Texas Tech. I think that's that's your edge right there. But I think Culver Brad Stegas, uh is going to be you know is going to be a great matchup, and I and I think Michigan has a has a point guard advantage. Between, uh, David Moretti versus Xavier Simpson. I, I, Simpson has been very impressive this year. and He scored the ball much better this year as well. Alright, thank you all for listening. Those are my Sweet 16 picks. Um, as far well, I'm gonna, again, I'm going to stick with my prediction as far as the Final Four goes. Or, well, yes. Gonzaga, Duke, Tennessee, Kentucky. So I wasn't able to get all to those Elite Eight games, but I'm going to stick with those. Um as, again, assuming PJ Washington plays for Kentucky, so that's what I'm going with. But we will do this again. We'll have a Final Four for next week. So we will talk the Final Four. Uh, catch the posting up po- or the Kentucky Sports Pod. This the posting up podcast. The, the Kentucky Sports Podcast on Wednesday. Thank you all for listening. Have a good week.